0: Scuba Obsessed the Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive in Scuba new News. Scuba Obsessed episode 406 is recorded live May 23rd, 2019. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. We're like everybody else in the world. We're celebrating World Turtle Day. Joining me this week, we have Mac to Dive. Mentor, how you are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So how are you celebrating World Turtle Day?
1: Uh, well, I had turtle soup, <laughs> and then I had, what was it? Turtle burgers. Did you know you can get turtle soup and turtle burgers?
0: I did not know. I I mean, I've heard of turtle soup. Yep. I didn't know you could buy it. but
1: uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, you can buy those. But, uh, I mean, I'm not doing the big, big turtles. This is just the local ones that you can buy for consumption. But I Mm -hmm. thought it was, you know, sort of fitting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so they said that... uh, And and I always wonder how we get these different days. So it says, World Turtle Day was established in 2000 to protect turtles and tortoises and their threatened habitats around the world. Conservation efforts are led by several nonprofit organizations, such as the American Tortoise Rescue, which focuses on rescue, rehabilitation, adoption, and protection of turtle species. Since the organization's inception, it's rescued and rehomed more than 4,000 turtles across the world, a combination community outreach programs, and financial contribution from donors. So I was hoping there'd be like a battle, you know, the turtle organizations versus the tortoise organizations, one thinking the other gets too much of an advantage. So as a a quick quiz, what is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise?
1: Tortoise is big.
0: Yeah. Because when I saw that, I'm like, I wonder what the difference is. And uh, the kind of the the short answer is tortoises dwell on the land, is whereas turtles dwell in the water.
1: Well, I know the lifespans are a lot different too.
0: Yeah, that was that was uh, quite surprising. Uh, Uh, Which one do you prefer to be, as far as lifespan?
1: Well, the tortoise, of course, (laughs) eighty to 150 years. And uh, there was something we had seen a couple of weeks ago. That said they had gotten a, uh, a tortoise that they estimated to be a little over 200 years old.
0: Yeah. Well, and then I was on one of the websites, and I think they said that the that there was a tortoise they thought was like 300 or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, of course, I can't find that same article again.
1: Well, the tortoises are larger than turtles, and they have a dome-shaped shell. And turtles are generally flat and streamlined. And this is different Mm -hmm. than what we have for our alligator snappers, our box ones, our sand turtles, which is different. Yeah. Because here they're talking about uh, sea life, as I recollect.
0: Yeah. At least that's what they're showing here.
1: And what, tortoises or herbivores?
0: Yep. Uh, Herbivore, well, the uh, turtles are omnivores.
1: And then what was it? The limbs of the tortoises, short and stubby. Uh, the legs bent, suitable for dwelling on land where turtles have webbed feet and long claws, suitable for swimming.
0: Yes. Now, didn't we have a diver in the dive club who, who was, did not like turtles? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, we did. Well, uh, we... What
1: he wasn't fond of is alligator snappers. So the last one I found there in the Niles, which, by the way, is an interesting item. Alligator snappers are not indigenous to Michigan, with uh-huh. the exception of two places. Barren Lake and the St. Joe River as it flows through Niles. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. But oh, wow. if you go to the ones out there in uh, on Barren Lake, those are the ones that are big as small dog houses. And yeah. they look like a tortoise. I mean, they're huge. They're ugly. They look like dinosaurs. And uh, yeah, we it- found a smaller version of that. Where we normally dive there at Merrimont, so we got it out and I, and, you know, I had moss and stuff on his back. So I put Dave's name on the top,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then took a picture and then sent him a picture. Yeah. this is Dave's turtle.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he appreciated that.
1: Yeah, he gave me a comment.
0: <laughs> we miss Dave so hopefully if he, I doubt he listens, but if he, he's in Florida, he, man,
1: are you kidding? Yeah, he's always diving.
0: He is. Yeah. Yeah, so some someday I'll get back down there. Last time I was down there, he I think he was mad with me for not diving. But you know, that's the thing is when you travel to a location, especially when you're traveling with somebody, is your agenda is so full it's hard to make time to see other people who are down there. So
1: unless that's part of the agenda,
0: right? Right you you almost need to it, you almost have to tell certain people when you're coming and other people not because then that way you can segment your time or yeah. or. uh Maybe I just need to retire and move down there for three months.
1: Yeah, be a snowbird. <laughs> I
0: I could do that. Yeah, I, I I played the game with my wife. You know, uh, we 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 watched one of those home shows where they have the uh, the people who won the lottery and what home they're going to get or buy. So I, I played. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to get her to say we'd move to Florida or someplace if we had the money, but she she wouldn't commit. So, oh well. Maybe I just have to take uh, more dive vacations. So this first article that we're going to have this week is talking about uh, scuba conviction is unlikely after Bethany Farrell's death. Uh, this one is out of the UK. Bethany Farrell, 23 of, uh oh, goodness. Is that Colchester or Colchester? C-O-L-C-H-E-S-T-E-R. Um But Bethany was on a gap year in Australia when she went diving with friends in February 2015. She became lost when the the instructor turned her back. Ms. Farrell came back to the service, was not spotted because those meant to be watching her were not doing an adequate job. An inquest last year, a magistrate magistrate said that uh, Skipper Steve Croucher, employee Peter Hall, instructor Fiona McTavish, may have committed offenses under the workplace legislation. The Queensland's Office of Industrial Relations reviewed the matter, having previously prosecuted diving company DL20 Trading Partners Limited, which admitted breaching the duties under the Safeties of the Recreational Water Activities Act and was fined 160000 Australian dollars, but no charges have ever been brought against individuals. Ms. Farrell's distraught parents, Patrick and Karen, had written a detailed complaint to Australian Omsby oh goodness. Oms Budsman, outlining what they believe is evidence of their daughter being failed by individuals during the dive. As spokesman for Queenland's office, office of Industrial Relations said three organizations had looked into circumstances of Mrs. Farrell's death, or Miss Farrell's death. He said in the coroner's finding, he formed the opinion that certain individuals may have committed offenses under the workplace legislation and accordingly referred the matter to the Office of Industrial Relations. The Office of Industrial Relations subsequently reviewed the matter and decided not to commence a prosecution of individuals, as that review determined there is no reasonable prospect of conviction. On fifteenth of March, Office of Industrial Relations referred the matter to Director of Public Prosecutions for further independent consideration. On April fifth, the DPP responded to that referral, advised that there was no reasonable prospect of a conviction. The Office of Work, Health, and Safety Prosecutor reviewed the matter upon receipt of the advice of the DPP and determined that no prosecution would be commenced on the basis that there was no reasonable prospect of cons- securing a conviction. In the reopened complaint, Mrs. Farrell's parents asked for a full and unambiguous reply explaining what prevented the prosecution of Miss McTravis and Mr. Croucher. They say both had a duty to care towards Bethany and both failed her. When they say prosecution, are, are they just looking at that saying, I mean, I'm not familiar with them. This is was this Australia or New Zealand. It must be Australia. <coughs> are they saying, I'm. would this be like a jury trial? Are they saying that with the evidence and the type of case that if it had gone to trial, they wouldn't expect that the jury or the judges, whoever's trying it, to actually convict them?
1: I don't really know. I just, uh page that you had yours on won't come up on mine because it wants to do cookies and do it. But mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Uh, it says, uh, Wings Diving Adventures was fined $160,000 in March for breaching its duty under the safety. But then again, I'm looking at it and it, it talked about, it. was this scuba or was this snorkeling? Because they're talking about there's a, a report from her dive computer. Well, must be diving dive computer. She was on the surface for as long as 40 seconds before she slipped below the water to her death. And it's like, well, it doesn't say what experience level she had. There's so many, you know, it doesn't give you a lot of information to try to figure out what happened. Because one would figure they were saying, well, it was only two meters of visibility. You know what I'm saying? So yes. without details. How much experience did she have? Uh, did she know how to use a BC, like inflate, get rid of the weights? Never says that. So I'm I'm curious why she drowned to begin with.
0: Yeah, we we certainly don't have enough information in here. So like, you, yeah, and maybe with that additional details, I would explain why they wouldn't do it because if it's like, depends on how di- dive. Charters are organized in different places as to what the responsibility is of the individuals involved.
1: Well, a part of what the they have here is uh told in crush she looked away for a few seconds to navigate a tricky section of coral when she lost her, which meant she must have been with her diving. They're part of the coral coral area. Visibility was two meters, six feet. Could not find her. Then they talk about launch a search and rescue. But by the same token, it talked about looking at the computer. It showed the Brit was on the surface for as long as 40 seconds before she slipped below the water to her death. Well, 40 seconds on the surface, dumped the weight, played to BC, but it doesn't say anything about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and because they are making it sound like they just weren't looking when she popped up. But Yeah. Uh, you just... You know, when when we're boat diving on a wreck, when, unless you're able to see the bubbles and you've been following the bubbles specifically, you don't necessarily spot somebody the instant they break the water. You know, it might take you a, a minute or so to to look over and glance and see somebody's up from the okay, boat. Okay,
1: I'm I'm looking at a different item now. Um, that was on. Okay, <clears throat> uh, the deceased drowned while on an introductory dive. Blue Pearl, Heyman Island. Uh-huh. So, oh, so she that... was not experienced. Introductory dive. It says, Queenland's health and safety investigators found failings by the company included not allowing people to practice with their buoyancy devices or testing the competency of the first-time diver. Okay, so I'll have to explain some right there.
0: Yeah, so this it sounds like resort course.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Not even that wouldn't allow you to practice with the buoyancy device. Yeah.
0: Well, this is uh, where you go into uh, a tourist situation and they convince you that uh, we'll just we'll just take you out and hold your hand.
1: Okay, I'm looking at the other part. It says report said the trio should have had basic swimming competency tested and been allowed to practice how to maintain positive buoyancy before they went diving around 4:30 that day and I would agree yes you know well,
0: and then drop the weight because if the dive computer is showing that she went up to the surface even without somebody observing her uh if they if she had had adequate training she could have inflated the bc i mean she i mean did she we don't know but was it not inflated? Was she overweighted? Uh, did she panic? Yeah, we just don't know.
1: Well, they said it was all, all of the above. I was looking at comments. It says uh, from a uh, professional diving instructor, I've taken many people on Discover Scuba Dive or Try dive People, meaning, you know, try it must be their verbal, verbalization for that,
0: uh, yeah.
1: about who- people who are not comfortable in the water tend not to go on the trips but some do, and there isn't, you know, there is not a great problem. Positive buoyancy is something that is taught and practiced before entering the water, and again before submerging. Losing contact with a novice is a big no-no, and it looks like this is where the problem became fatal. It really is. Then down to the instructor who is a person responsible.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm siding with the parents on this one. I'm ah uh, yeah, kind of questioning why they think that, and the, in the U.S., I have no doubt that that would have gone to trial. But, see, in the U.S., you'd have been able to do—it may not go criminal, but you could go civil. Now, maybe that's what—since that—well, they were fined. Yeah. but But that fine is by, like, their version of OSHA for water. So that doesn't say that the parents have charged and sued. Right. But I mean, we're we're very litigious here in the United States, so maybe other places aren't. It's not so much. Yeah, Derek says it uh, looks like everything is some level of fault, business procedures not followed properly. That's fine, but there's not enough evidence for the police to prosecute, et cetera. Yeah, he says civil would still be the option. So similar to what we have up here. Yeah. Yeah, and and then like Karen's talking about some. Sometimes it just depends on what the. Lawyers think they can get. And this next one, we have a scuba submarine launched by Uber off Heron Island, the Great Barrier Reef. It's the ultimate ride share. Uber will dip a toe in the water when it launches its first submarine rides in the Great Barrier Reef next week. The world's first scuba ride departs Heron Island on May 27th and will cost $1,500 per person. Passengers will dive a maximum of 30 meters, about the same level reached by averaged scuba divers with a 180-degree view of Australia's most recognizable world heritage site in a battery-powered submarine. The one-hour ride will operate on set dates from Heron Island between May 27th and June 3rd before moving north to Angin Court Reef off the coast of Port Douglas June 9th to the 18th. There will be 12 trips only with booking available at the Uber app at 7.30 a.m. on the day of each departure. It's a journey of both highs and lows. The fare also includes a pickup by helicopter from Gladstone for the Heron Islands and departure. Chopper transits from uh, Cairns, Port Douglas, Palm Cove, and Submarine Northern Departure Point on the Quicksilver Cruises pontoon in the outer edge of the reef. For every passenger fare, Uber will donate the same amount to Reef Conservation Group citizens of the Great Barrier Reef. Uber says its sub, which seats just two passengers, a pilot, will have no negative impact on the reef. The scuba will stay within sections of the reef designated for tourism operations remaining on clear seaways to avoid coral. Operated by qualified pilots in conjunction with Tourism Queenland, scuba says its aim is to protect and showcase the reef. The ride-sharing app is no stranger to non conventional modes of transport. The company, which has operated 63 countries, has dabbled in helicopters in Dubai, rickshaws in India, and luxury motorboats down Istanbul's Bosphorus Straits. Sounds cool, but a little salty. It's a little salty, and is this just like a limited time? You know, like they... They bought access to this thing for a month and a half, and really, it's about this promotion. Because I've gotten more press out of this than what little bit they're going to get on it. Now, I'm sure they're not, even at 1500 dollars a person. They're probably not breaking even in their on their lease. See, so, yeah, at first I thought it was somebody just trying to uh, take advantage of the Uber name recognition, but it is actually uber doing this
1: gotta be part of it's for the pr
0: yeah because <laughs> they don't talk about it. i mean they only talk about this limited time in this one sub oh. but not really practical for commute <laughs> no yeah i guess the helicopter ride maybe <laughs> and then uh this one's in michigan jackson police diving team are looking for more volunteers Dive team members have a little fun as they wait to start the Michigan law enforcement polar plunge outside point bar and grill on Clark Lake. Uh, That's a, a, an old post. I don't think they've got ice going on right now. I said, all the all volunteer team works with public safety agencies for water rescue, evidence retrieval and drownings. You do not have to live in Jackson County to apply. You just need to live nearby. Undersheriff Chris call said, most of the current team consists of recreational divers. The 13-person team has divers who have been members for more than 15 years. Some want to stop diving and assist from the surface. There's no limit to the number of people on a team. It just depends on interest and skill level. Those who make the team are deputized and attend training throughout the year. There's a training in summer and winter to make sure the team is ready for all conditions, but the situation is not safe. Divers are not sent. The team is not a frontline response. Instead typically work on recovery. The team is assisted with cars that fall through the ice, recovering evidence that's been thrown in the lake or river, and body recovery after drownings. While volunteers are expected to provide their own equipment, the sheriff's office does provide some equipment, such as sonar. There's a small stipend for team members, and the amount varies based on number of training and dives attended. The stipend is intended to help maintain equipment and volunteers join the team because they want to help the community. It's a very rewarding function. Ultimately, what we need at the end of the day is divers in the water. Uh, Jackson, is that where we have, oh no, that's, it's a little bit different. We, cause we have somebody on the, uh, that we know who's used uh, to be. Oh, is he no longer? Did he? I
1: believe he has a different type of job that we won't talk about on the air. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yep. But it is interesting looking at the dive team requirements or did you go that far down?
0: Um, I I went through briefly. I mean, was there anything that... No, oh, I was I,
1: curious because if we're, we've been looking at it from a different perspective for a different application. So I was mm-hmm. curious what their requirements were. <clears throat> and it was uh, obviously no criminal background and fingerprint, eligibility for deputation, basic mm-hmm. open water certification, advanced open water certification, minimum 50 logs, uh, dives logged within the last 12 months, uh, pass water skills, swim assessment, and perform basic scuba skills assessment with a dive team instructor. Mm-hmm. And let's see, then they got to get within 12 months and maintain active status as rescue diver, ice diver, first aid, CPR, oxygen provider, AED. I think that's familiar to us. Yep. Uh, become proficient in the use of full FASC. A full face mask must dive regular to maintain efficiency. Reviewed at six and 12 months prior to being admitted to the team and some other items that have to do with uh, the police itself. Yeah. Has a comment and stuff in there that candidate must understand they may be exposed to traumatic instances, body recovers, drownings, may be required to submit to mandatory incident debriefing with mental health professionals after an event. Yeah. So they got yeah. that post-traumatic stress aspect in there. Yeah. And it talks about what equipment they got to have yeah. and the demonstrable skills.
0: Yeah. I So let's see, could, could we do the skills? So the first one was a 400 yard swim. That's in swim less four, than 10 minutes. In less than 10 minutes. A so swim 400 yards nonstop without swimming aids, and using any stroke or combination of strokes in less than ten minutes. And I think that is almost directly from the open water test. And that one is, yeah, I think I think your uh, open water certification was was that fifteen minutes tread water. Yep, I think that one was yeah, also. Yeah, we the, had that
1: one. I remember that
0: one. Yeah, the exercise, swim 800 yards face down using mass snorkel fins in less that's, than 17. Yeah, and I don't think we had to do both one and three. I think it was yeah. either or. You could do the, the first one or the third one. You didn't have to do both. And most people just opted for the first one because you had to go farther <laughs> with the fins. Yeah, uh, And then exercise five is 100 yards inert diver toe. Which I think that's a good one for, for them. I mean, we're, we've been we're referring to some other discussions we've had on on training and,
1: and uh, that's also within four minutes. Yeah, so if these are yard, not just a distance; diver, they are time.
0: Yeah, the, the four minutes that one could be. It kind of depends on who you're towing. I mean, if they're if they're towing me, then it might take them five minutes.
1: Uh, yeah, and this is also in a pool scenario. Because you yeah. know as well as I do that, do you mean upstream or downstream in the river? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> you might not make it. But if be you mean five.
1: upstream, you're dead. That's all I got to yeah. say.
0: Yeah. Or Either can, I
1: am and you're going to need to be doing that AAD crap line.
0: Can't I just uh, tie the dive flag off to him and let him drift down? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and dive skills, uh, which is this is all, it's reasonable and it's nice that they've put this out and i and i think this is something in the in the groups that we belong with it it just needs to be documented right you i know, can that.
1: initiate a lot of that but nowadays i don't have the endurance or the stamina to maintain this right back in my younger days yeah i can throw a rope with the best of them yeah
0: yeah um
1: and all the depletion and all that exercises other than that i can do all of that Blindfolded, basically. Well,
0: and and the nice thing about this is that these are good. You know, with with an organization like this, the bringing new members on also is a benefit to the existing members. Oh yeah, because you learn a lot, or you keep in tune by checking these skills in somebody else. And sometimes you might have to demonstrate it. Yeah, yeah. So, huh? Well, that's that's good. I I missed that when I when I first looked. I didn't see that document there at the bottom. And if you want to f- follow along in this, we have these in the show notes. Let's see. And then we have six rare bottles of scotch salvaged from a shipwreck. Can we can we go back one? But Sure. Which one? Slave which
1: one? ship. We had talked about this before, but this is in today's Palladium also.
0: Did Last I, oh,
1: slave I, ship from Africa.
0: Yeah, let me see. Where did I? Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I just didn't. I must have misloaded that one. So here, let's get this one to go. Because, yeah, we talked about this one uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm yep. stalling as my Internet is is loading the article. Uh,
1: and there was actually some debate, though, at that time, because then they came back later and said, well, it really wasn't the one. Now it looks like it either they were talking about a different one last time or this really has been verified to have been the last ship.
0: Yeah, so this is from the the at least where we're reading it from is the Houston Chronicle, but yeah, uh, this says a last slave ship from Africa ID'd on Alabama's coast. Researchers working in the murky water off the no- northern Gulf Coast have located the wreck of the last ship known to bring enslaved people from Africa to the United States, historical officials said Wednesday. Remains of the Gulf schooner Clotilda. Were identified and verified near Mobile after months of assessment and statement by the Alabama Historical Commission. The wooden vessel was scuttled the year before the Civil War to hide evidence of its illegal trip, and hasn't been sent since. Uh, been seen since discovery of the Clotilda is an extraordinary archaeological find," said Lisa uh, Dimitropoulos. Goodness, Jones, executive director of the commission, said the ship's journey represented one of the darkest years of modern history. The wreck provides tangible tangible evidence of slavery. In 1860, the wooden ship illegally transported 110 people from what is now West African nation of Benin to Mobile, Alabama. Uh, The vessel was taken into delta waters north of the port and burned to avoid detection. The the captives were later freed and settled a community that's still called Africatown, USA, but no one knew the location of the Clotilda. The descendants of one of the Africans who was brought to the south aboard the ship said she got chills when she learned its wreckage had been found. I think about the people who came before us who labored and fought and worked so hard, said Jocelyn Davis, a sixth-generation granddaughter of African captive Charlie Lewis, she said, I'm sure people had given up on finding it. It's a wow factor. The Mobile area news reporter discovered wooden remains of what was initially suspected to be the Clotilda, but the wreck turned out to be that of another ship. That publicity helped spark a renewed search last year that found another wreck, now identified as the slave ship. Officials didn't say how much a ship remains or what might become of the remnants, but the dimensions the construction of the wreck matched those of the Clotilda. And the Commission said, as do building materials, including locally sourced lumber and metal pieces made of pig iron, there are also signs of fire. We are cautious about placing names on shipwrecks that no longer bear a name or something like a bell with a ship's name on it, maritime archaeologist James Delgado said in a statement, but the physical and forensic evidence powerfully suggests that it is the Clotilda. Officials said that working on a plan to preserve the site where the ship is located, the United States banned importation of slaves in 1808, but smugglers kept traveling the Atlantic with wooden ships full of people and chains. Southern plantation owners demanded workers for their cotton fields. And then they go on. Uh, the Officials said they plan to present a report of the findings, at the community center in Africatown next week. So i yeah, so that when we covered it before they had found that other wreck and it sounds like they had found this one. Once the interest got up, then people just kept looking.
1: I'm not quite exact sure why it's an extraordinary archaeological find, and again, I'm not sure why the wreck provides tangible evidence of slavery. I don't think the wreck is necessary to have shown no. that.
0: No, I. Yeah, I, it's yeah, but I mean that we're. It's kind of the way we are with shipwrecks now. Anything with a couple boards and stuff, we got to preserve it because it's going to tell something we didn't know.
1: Well, it's always interesting who's going to foot the bill to preserve it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a light article. Me, I'm sure we'll we'll see a little bit more information later on. Now back to your bottle, to scotch. Now, now, yeah, exactly. We talk about the scotch, the good stuff. Uh, six rare bottles of scotch salvaged in the shipwreck that inspired whiskey galore are to be sold at auction. The SS Politician ran aground off. Ernst Key and the, heart, uh, the Outer Herbrides during bad weather in February 1941 with 264,000 bottles in hold number five. Some islanders conducted an unofficial salvage mission and even donned their, donned their wife's dresses so that engine oil leaked onto their clothes that would not give them away afterwards. The wreck was immortalized by Compton Mackenzie in his 1947 novel Whiskey Galore and the Erling Comedy, which followed two years later. Six bottles will be auctioned at Boham's in Edinburgh on June 5th. There are Ballantines, a, a Vat 69, four bottles of Gib, what was that, Gilby's. Each one expected to fetch 6,000 to 8,000 pounds. Unlike much of the colds, the contents of Hold 5, they were salvaged legally in 1990, and are accompanied by official documentation from H.M. Customs. Despite spending nearly half a century in the sound, uh, authentication tests showed that it has not been diluted. Irving Butterfield, a customs official in Perth, wrote, given its lengthy sojourn beneath the waters, the whiskey has stood up remarkably well, and I would venture to suggest it is quite potable. So basically saying if you drink it, it won't kill you. <laughs> That that's kind of a low standard for Scotch, would you say? Uh, uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then here they do some close-ups of the neck. I don't call that great condition, would you?
1: Well, I don't happen to have that link. That's why I can't do that
0: one. Oh, I have yes, the verbiage a, of a new total link. of tw- yeah, a total of twenty-eight thousand cases of malt whiskey around. Board at the time sailing from Liverpool, to Jamaica, capital Kingston, and New Orleans in the U.S., pictured our two bottles of whiskey bought at auction for $12,050. And you can see the levels are different. So I'm going to say that some of it had leaked out somehow, or yeah, it, it doesn't look the greatest. Now, there's a photo at the top of the article, which I'm assuming. A professional photographer took for the uh, catalog. Yeah, and it looks like there may even be a little bit of Photoshop wizardry to make it look even better. Yeah. Now, now those. Now, yeah, port-
1: Karen must have put the uh, link in. I just got to it. And I was able to look. Oh, at them. yeah,
0: there the there the bottles are showing up. So there's yeah. the one. And if you look, I guess they're just different because it they show the close up, but then you see the far away. The far away, they look pretty. The close up, it's, I, something's happened. I don't think they were that irregular in filling the bottles would you because you're looking at the one. I, all the I way wouldn't the right, think so. No, no. So there's, there's something here. So you, you're, you're buying the nostalgia. And so you, it's a, it's a talking point. Maybe you have a, a wild party and hey, we're all going to get sloshed and drink this really terrible scotch. So. But somebody wants to prove me wrong. I would. I would volunteer. Uh, there's
1: tons of comments on this too. <laughs>
0: oh, is there? Oh, and not a
1: not a lot of them are complimentary.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Said, but it was found in a shipwreck.
1: Said whiskey doesn't age and improve over time like wine. It does all its aging in the cask.
0: Right. It's it's its best when it was bottled. Yeah. It, it it's not getting any flavor from the. Me. I mean. You've actually stopped the flavor at the point when it gets in the bottle.
1: Said so anyone paying a thousand pounds needs their burps felt. I don't know what that meant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it for scuba the news, but we do have a potentially cool scuba gear. We have an article where uh, somebody was talking about drones. This one was from Forbes magazine, which I'm only surprised when they talk about anything dive related says I've been piloting my DJR Air Drone for the better part of a year now and enjoying it, although I have less time than I would like to really develop superior flying skills or to impress my teenage kids. But the first time I piloted an underseen undersea drone was in CES twenty nineteen until I got a test version of the Gladius Mini. There's something magical about driving a drone places you can't go, whether it's in the air or under the water, but given that flying drones have been increasingly restricted due to security Concerns, it's fun to try an undersea drone as well. The Mini is a five thruster water drone about the size of a small backpack with nearly infinite maneuverability in three dimensions and a 165 foot tether. Optionally, you can get a 330 foot or a 660 foot tether if you want to really go nuts, but the submersible drone itself is rated at 330 feet of depth. Just like my other drone, it connects to your phone or tablet and you control it via an app or a physically supplied physical remote controller similar to a PlayStation or Xbox controller. The drone is primarily interesting for my purposes as a hobbyist fun, but it's professional and capable enough for marina usage for checking out uh, boat hauls without getting wet, as well as inspection of underwater infrastructures like dam, pipes, lines, according to Chase Innovation, the company behind the Gladius. Many people think of underwater drones as primarily for exploring tropical waters. Gladius General Manager Sage Ratterman told via an email like aerial drones, most of the uses are commercial for inspecting boat hauls, underwater infrastructure, fish farming, industrial tanks, many other uses where daily operations and maintenance underwater are economically important. I tried to drone the local lake. Unfortunately, it was during a cold snap and the lake was frozen. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you throw the, the drone in and it skips off the surface, that's not a good time for it. Uh, he said, but I can say the Gladius works a mini icebreaker as well. Ha! Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know why the, the hull is cracked. I have no idea how that happened. Now, fortunately, the drone comes equipped with a bright light so you can see where you're going even in darker depths. Uh, He says it's much more forgiving than a flying drone. Worst case scenario is you have the tether, which enables you to simply reel in the drone like a fish in a line. There's some challenges for hobbyists. The sub needs to be charged, of course. So is the remote controller, and so is the base station, making for three separate pieces of hardware that all need charging. In other words, you need to plan ahead for an underwater, undersea droning experience. isn't something you'll be doing in this moment. Add a tether cord itself. There's a lot of pieces here, which makes anything more complicated equipment-wise than air droning, with my flying drone I can charge one thing, connect to my phone, and be up and fly instantly. No, you can't. You had to charge a drone and you had to charge your phone. What a whiner! Um, from a professional standpoint, I was a potentially interesting opportunity to get fairly capable research and utility stuff for less than fifteen hundred dollars. That's not bad price for that that those what? capabilities.
1: Fifteen hundred.
0: Yeah. Huh.
1: Well, the maximum dive dip for that one is approximately 100 meters. Just yeah. look that up to take a look at the price of it, and you're correct. It does say that. Uh, yeah. there's a couple of versions, but they're 14 to 1600. Uh, both models include a 4K 30 frame per second 12 megapixel camera with dual LED spotlights, maximum forward speed of 4 knots, uh, which gives you a clue if you're going to be able to use it in oh. the current or not. forget the Niles River right now yeah uh, oh. let's see the features it talked about was uh, the footage and photos are on an on onboard SD card plus real time seven twenty video streamed up via the cable to the to your real um, it says an iOS Android app on the user's smartphone. Can communicate with the reel via Wi-Fi, and a dual joystick controller communicates with the reel, sending commands up and down.
0: I, for the price and the capability, I'm I'm just wondering what the downside is.
1: Uh, I'm trying to figure out if they've got some other
0: part of it. They think is
1: the floating cable, which you have drag, which is of course an issue. You have to work. With. Uh, the tilt angle of the camera, I think, was plus or minus 45 degrees. And uh, actually, if you still want the mini, it can be pre-ordered for 1,100 dollars US. Planned retail wow. price is going to be 1,300. The advanced pro model at 7L uh, 1,800. Then you have the standard pro at 1,500. Cameras make a difference, and the depth. No. Uh, 50 meters is one of the depth and double that for the other. Uh, yeah. So well, for most of our wrecks, if you didn't have a current, you could do it pretty well.
0: Well, what what I've wanted to do is I I've thought about, you know, cause we do the podcast, which is audio. I have thought about something like this for doing video where you treat it almost like you have your drone operators or your camera people. Yeah. And then you're down diving. Uh, and for not much more than a, I mean, if you're really getting a good quality 4K video, uh-huh, that's that's not bad price at all. Ah. And you get some interesting shots. I, I I like the idea of this. So we just need a rich benefactor who wants to donate. You know, we we would be able to get by with three or four of these for the show.
1: It would be nice having one for the uh, Great Lakes search and recovery.
0: Oh, certainly. Absolutely, to to have that. Um, anytime you can put this in the water instead of a diver, yeah, yeah. We 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 probably need to let. The, and you wouldn't
1: uh, need uh, the the three hundred footer either. At hundred and sixty would be more than enough.
0: Yeah, for for the type of recovery that uh, that organization or, does. That. Correct. Yeah, but it'd be nice to have the option. I wonder if how easy the tethers are to change. Because I could see also if you're out doing, uh, you know, you're mowing the lawn and you're out there at 200 and some feet, I'd much rather just throw this down just to get a peek of whatever it is. And oh, absolutely! in the and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very, very interesting. If this is true, we'll have to do a little yeah. bit of looking at it. And it yeah. looks bigger than it is when you see it in the guy's hand. It's not that large, but it doesn't need to be. I mean, cameras are getting smaller. So if you can keep this small enough, and if it's got enough power to get itself out of the way, do they talk about charge time and anything you're seeing? I
1: did not see anything there. I do know that when uh, I was working with Jim, well, yeah, it must have been last year, with the individual missing in the river and Pawpaw. Yes. Uh, When we were out there, one time they were using a camera type in one position to look under some logs on, under the embankment. But because uh, its current was still very fast, so they could actually let it down to look into to those crevices, but they were using other objects to block the stream so the current wouldn't tear it, you know,
0: yes, disconnect the cable.
1: Uh, Karen has also put a couple of posts in there on some items that are local about the drones. It's quite interesting.
0: Yeah there there is a couple drone companies who uh, anytime we see any flooding uh they've been doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Karen's saying that the Kamazoo dive team is using ROVs instead of putting drivers uh divers in cuz it's much safer. Yeah, you If you can do that search with a drone, um, I mean the 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 thing is you get to that point where a drone is going to be doing by visibility when you got zero vis, the drone doesn't doesn't do any good. Uh, the it, difference is some of the
1: it. some of the drones now though will have uh, heat sensors. Oh wow! Yeah, that would work. So well, depending Well, depend on how fresh the person was versus the mm-hmm. water temperature.
0: Yeah. So well, there's also, variables. Also, it seems like you could put a, a some sort of uh, side scan on it and get some sort of uh, feedback. It'll give you at least some bottom images and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. This is something I'm just fascinated with. I mean, it, it kind of ticks all my all the buttons and things I like. You know, kind of like robotics, technology, diving, water. yeah, uh, I need two of them. <laughs> and 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 for what I'm putting into the remodel at the house, I could probably have more more than a few more than two actually. Well, that does it for Scuba News. I'd like to thank everybody who's listening, and we have a great turnout in the chat room tonight. We have Eric and Karen and Derek, you know, the old diehards. And uh, if, you, if you want to listen or participate in the chat room, I, I thought about putting something in the show notes to let everybody know where they could go. But uh, we're on Discord, uh, so you can get an invite. Uh, I think I've got links on the website. If not, I'll put them in. That's one of the things I'll do this summer. Website's about due for another uh, refresh. As we approach our 10th year, I think it's about the third or fourth time I've had to update the website again. And and we're getting in that beautiful time of the year. Um, this last weekend, I finally got all my dive gear together. And I and I discovered that uh, I have, have a presence that has been left for me. In the tradition of being harassed by critters, uh, if you go back early in the episodes, you'll ha- you'll hear my uh, uh, moth and larva story. But uh, I now have a new one, which is mice, <laughs> which is which is not necessarily new. Mice have are always a torture, but I think my BC is okay. But the straps that go around the tank, they have nibbled. Like, it's like little hash mark, the whole diameter of the strap, only on the edges. And I can't see, it's one of those things where they, they took a bite and must have said, oh, this is tasty. Or they have such a short memory, they spit it out, and then four minutes later come back and go, oh, I wonder if this tastes good. So they've done a little bit of decorative modification to my uh, cam bands. On, on the. The BCD. uh So, but other than that, everything looks fine. So, more, just a little annoying, especially considering how many cats I feed daily. <laughs> they, they should be doing a little bit better job. So, yeah, you know, I'm going to doctor pay. I would do something serious for them. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about teaching them how to fly, but the the, the that doesn't go over too well. Uh, do you have any? Uh, Uh, dive safety stories of the week? Well,
1: I have a story, yeah. It's accident insight. Dan does a really good job of providing me with all sorts of stuff. So we'll just go through this little scenario. What did I do wrong? Adaptability to conditions is a must-have skill for any diver. Evaluating the appropriate dive gear and competency with basic safety protocols allow you the presence of mind to handle precious weather. I recently had the privilege of diving off the Casco Islands, off the coast of Costa Rica. I'm an experienced diver with approximately 300 dives in my logbook. On my first day of the trip, I was to dive from a Zodiac using a negative buoyancy entry, like we did going for the uh, shark teeth, which was new to me. The other two divers on the craft were very experienced and had previously been to the islands. I was feeling slightly anxious accompanying. So now we'll talk about the incident. I was wearing a large wing buoyancy compensator, which was suitable for diving in cold water, but not ideal for tropical diving. The divemaster instructed us to fall backward into the water, descend immediately because the sea was rough and the Zodiac was close to shore. I did as he directed. I deflated my BC, but I did not descend. The sea pushed me rapidly away from the Zodiac towards the rocks of the island. I let my regulator drop out of my mouth, and my BC inflator hose disappeared out of range behind me. I began swimming as hard as I could toward the Zodiac against the waves that were pounding the island. Without warning, I belatedly began to sink. I could not overcome the force of gravity in the dive gear I was wearing, which I was wearing, which included my steel tank, weights, and my body proceeded to slowly but steadily descend. Even with my strong legs and powerful fins, I could not overcome the descent. The sea occasionally tossed me upward, and I gulped a mouthful of air and water, but never a full breath. Panic had not set in, but I knew I needed my regulator and hose. But my actions were becoming more frantic, and I could feel myself approaching exhaustion at an alarming rate. Yet the sea showed no mercy. The divemaster appeared near me. I heard him telling me to inflate my BC, but I couldn't find the inflator hose. I couldn't get a breath or find my regulator. I couldn't even reply. Desperately I tried to grab him. Part of my mind was reminding me not to be an out of control diver and drown the dive master while another part was screaming survival. The zodiac approached, the dive master shouted for me to climb aboard. With my last remaining strength I managed to grab the handle but I was so physically depleted it was all I could do to hang on to the rope. The dive master and zodiac captain pulled me on board. I collapsed, my heart racing, gasping for air, could not catch my bath. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I was spent. The dive masker held an oxygen mask on my face. I lay there for a considerable time as the Zodiac raced back to the liveaboard. Fortunately, I was on an excellent liveaboard with a first-rate crew. Otherwise, this incident could have easily deteriorated to a tragic uh, catastrophe. So, lessons learned. That evening, as I sat on the bow of the boat, I decided to review the incident as a valuable learning experience and critique my actions. Although I didn't drown, I believe I was fast approaching the point of no return. Where did I go wrong? Well, first, I was wearing the wrong equipment. My large, winged BC did not allow for uh, rapid deflation to facilitate negative buoy entry. I relinquished my regulator and inflator hose, and thus my control. Third, my retrospective critique of my actions revealed a glaring oversight. I did not drop my weights as the situation grew more dire. I don't know why I didn't think, you know, not to do that. In hindsight, I should have practiced negative buoyancy diving before my trip and made sure I was better prepared for the conditions. The next morning, the dive master outfitted me with a BC appropriate for the conditions. He and I went into the water early to ensure no uncomfortable feelings lingered from the day before. Also gave me an opportunity to familiarize myself with the BC, practice basic safety skills such as buddy breathing. He emphasized how important it is when diving in remote locations to practice basic safety skills till they become second nature. The isolation of pristine dive spots can exponentially complicate your misadventure. The remainder of my trip was excellent without mishap, and I thoroughly enjoyed the exclusive dives of the island. Lessons learned. I find it interesting, though, that he did not think drop his weights, and that seems to be a common aspect. For whatever reason, whether it's I don't want to spend 50 bucks to get weights, you don't do that, even when you know you need to.
0: Yeah, and and as cheap as I am, that's something I think is in is my wisdom has 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 improved. But how we lost certainly... his regulator,
1: you know. To me, when we dove, you know, into the fast river zero viz, you kept your freaking hand on your regulator when you went over, or not, or at least I know I did. That's where a lanyard strap would come in handy, too. Yes. But uh all's well that ended well, but that should make you think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good points. So how about diving? Has anybody been getting in the last week? It seems like with the weather. I mean, here we are past the midpoint of May. Uh, has anybody gotten on the old staples? Uh, of Rex, anybody been on uh, Havana yet this year?
1: Not as far as I know. I know there is plans for this weekend uh, on the on the club site and Facebook. So I'll be anxious to see what they do. I mm-hmm. can't remember if it was the Ironside to Ann Arbor they were going to try
0: to get onto. I I want to say that there was some discussion of Ironsides, well, and also the Ann Arbor Five. Why am I thinking? I've had a terrible habit of recently mixing the two up because somebody had said the Ironsides are buoyed, and I was thinking it was the Ann Arbor 5.
1: Yes, I know.
0: (laughs) My my mind just kind of goes, oh, it's a deep wreck. They're all the same, aren't they? Well, I know
1: none of our club members have been doing those, but they obviously have been since I have seen photos from other people not in the club who have been on those wrecks.
0: Yeah, we had somebody earlier in the chat room who had been at Lake 16. Let me see if I can find out who that was. I didn't recognize their handle, but it doesn't mean I don't that they're. uh, It was uh, Scuba Wags. Uh, He said, Hey guys, I've been in Lake 16 boat launch. We just got done with a dive. And this was about nine o'clock tonight. Uh, Across the platform, I asked him how the viz was. He said, Across the platform in the shallows. And double uh, deep down, so it's a. What would you say that platform? Would probably a twelve by twelve uh, foot platform. So it's what that would put that about ten to twelve foot visibility. Then,
1: yeah, it might uh, be. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, and then deep down, at least so
1: a 10 th- by ten anyway.
0: Yeah, so that's not too bad. I mean, May. This is about your your best visibility for the oh, the warmer season. I should have asked him what the temperature was.
1: Well, the guys had twenty foot a couple of what last week. Out because I know Amy yeah. and uh, Kevin were out there with some other people, and their videos, their pictures were very, very good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love getting a good dive in. It's a nice uh, blowout location if you get blown off the big lake. You need to go there. Uh, my only complaint is for us being so close to the lake, is uh, it pretty much takes up a day. And you've got you've got an hour or so to get there. You got your gear ready. You get in the water. If you do two tank dives, you get out of the water. You get something to eat, and you go home. And you've it. I can't think of a better way of spending eight or nine hours, but it is a full day of of time commitment.
1: Oh yeah. Um,
0: and then there's some talk about uh, somebody. Uh, hey, Quarry. Uh, we got Karen and some of the others are talking about going to Hay Quarry this weekend.
1: And we got a a class uh, open water, I believe, on mm-hmm. the first and second of June.
0: Yeah. I'm did sorry, it,
1: me, worry.
0: Yeah. Well, did we hear anything about the Great Lakes wrecking crew that that dive should have happened? Did we cover that?
1: Uh, uh, let's see. That's because
0: uh, their spring dive would have. Bob was there. Yeah.
1: But uh, I, th- I can't remember who else went because so Bob has been in the water there also yeah and
0: I saw all sorts of photos where they're uh, doing a lot of uh, work putting new platforms and docks and stuff in uh, so I would like you know if, you, if you've been there, send us a report letting us know how the how that's been also if you've been the white quarry, and then we'll have uh Karen can report back to us on Hague, seeing how that is because those are probably the three big quarries in the the Michigan area where divers from Michigan would go, even if they're not in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, those, are, those are the ones that we're aware of. And then we're hitting the, the nice summertime season, so if we have some nice flat weather with some good visibility, we'll be able to get in the lake. Uh, we had talked about the uh, buoys are out, and I haven't looked today, but I've been working on a project where I'm making a little tiny Arduino computer with a display that will give me the uh, dive conditions uh, based on the cook buoy. So well, it's, I will
1: be getting into water myself June 1st out of Pawpaw. That's going to be a Saturday huh? dive. That's a Saturday. Yeah, I'll be putting that out because I want to try to get Jake out there with his hookah.
0: Yeah. Bug me about it because that might be a good excuse for me to get out because I need to do a nice shallow first dive of the dive season. Yeah,
1: that'll be a good one. Yeah, I mean, you got a nice a, sandy bottom. If you want to do other items, that's a real good place to do yeah,
0: it. Yeah, it, it, it's a good you have a variety of diving conditions and usually by June, it's not too bad. If I've been out there before in June with the, with six inches visibility, but we'll see. Hopefully it's a little bit better than that. Yeah. Let's see. Do we have anything that we need to plug anything that's coming up? Uh, uh, Karen was asking for some help with the uh, mermaids. So we'll have to ask some of our local divers here. If they've got anything going on, I've, I've got the month of June, so i got Memorial Day weekend. I'm doing remodeling, and then June is going to be graduation parties. Gosh, I I talk about diving, and I'm not going to be able to. But uh, that Father's Day weekend, uh, she's got something going on with mermaids. And and we hope uh, that what Karen's got going on goes well.
1: Well, we'll at least have a, uh,
0: let's see. That's a June oh. 15th. Yeah,
1: That's right, because the club meeting will come after that. So, yeah, we'll have to ring something via the Facebook.
0: Yeah, we'll get some people up. And then I did see that we had some club members who were down in Florida. Any rumors of diving going on, or are they just uh, sightseeing?
1: I, I think Jim has been playing with Mickey Mouse, with the mouse yeah. anyway. But I don't know if he got wet or not. <laughs>
0: Well, you know he'll be lighter because the Magic Kingdom always seems to have a way of uh, lifting a few dollars from your pocket.
1: Oh, that's true. true.
0: So, and then we've got a whole bunch of uh, speaking tours going on in the fall. Uh, Anything coming up here in June? Any lectures or talks?
1: I have not put anything on my calendar Hang, I'm at my cell phone. See if I got something. that's interesting. Yeah. I'll, there's a lot of items happening, but not always dive-related. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In
1: that aspect.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of history stuff that's going on. It that I find very interesting, but maybe many of the podcasts may not want to want to hear about. Let's see. There was something else I thought I had in my my show notes early on, but didn't make it in. So I'll have to look. Maybe we'll add that again in in next week. So if you like the show and you'd like to support it, we could always use more five-star reviews, So whatever platform you're listening on. uh, Certainly would appreciate it. Also on Patreon, if you have the means, we understand if you don't, but if you could use a little bit of support. And also let us know if you'd like the audio quality. I've been a little disappointed. Uh, We changed hosting companies about a year and a half ago. And the one thing is the bit rate is a little bit lower than what I had been accustomed to. And they have an option. It's going to cost me about twice what we're spending now, but I'm kind of leaning that way and we could use some help with that. So, um, you know, $3 or more on Patreon. will get you access to the show notes early. And then any support is appreciated. Keeps us, lets us know that you're enjoying the program. You're getting some sort of value and also drop us a line. If there's something that you, Would like to see us cover or add or anything different as we approach finishing uh, our 10th season. Hard to believe 10 years here already.
1: Time flies when you're having fun.
0: Yes. So if we don't have anything else to plug, then I think it's that time of the show. Yes, sir. And to kind of keep a tradition, this will be kind of be a theme. Until somebody provides us some better jokes, we're going to play with the devil and uh, risk the wrath of some lawyers. So um, we're going to do this one as two parts, because I think we'll do a little bit of a warm up and then we'll have a final, final one. So here we go. Sure. A man went to a lawyer and asked what his fee was. $100 for three questions, asked, answered the lawyer. Isn't that a little steep, said the man? Yes, said the lawyer. Now, what's your third question? oops (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so so then so the here's the one that will will should take us out a man was sent to hell for his sins has he been led in the pits for an eternity of torment he saw a lawyer passionately kissing a beautiful woman what a joke he said I have to roast in flames for all eternity, and this lawyer gets suspended with that beautiful woman? Satan jabs the man with his pitchfork and snarls. Who are you to question that woman's punishment? (laughs)
1: Uh, A little more subtle, aren't they?
0: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. No, for a small monetary donation to Patreon, we could change the jokes up to where they don't include attorneys. We'll find out. Even better,
1: you send us some. (laughs) Yeah, send uh, some attorneys. No, good jokes.
0: So on that note, go out there and get wet, and stay safe. Hopefully we keep Craig in here all night yeah. and I splurged. I bought a, uh, $21 microphone stand. Woo-hoo. So yeah. can, can you hear it when I do this? You hearing any noise? No. Huh? So that's pretty good.
1: You got a popper oh. on it.
0: Yeah. I got a pop filter. I've got a shock mount and then, um uh, it clamps onto the side of the desk it has springs and it's a really cheap one but what they've done is they've learned with their design and they've added some some uh different connect points so you get a little bit better leverage you know how because it 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 looks like a desk lamp type of mount have you mm-hmm. seen those where they they're all spring and stuff and uh, it got fairly decent reviews. Everybody said it. it's a good, cheap one. It's not something you would use professionally if you had a studio and a bunch of people using it. But it's kind of nice. It's convenient. So, and uh, it, this one actually would work with uh, the microphone that you've got, too.
1: It's yeah, whenever one. I had this one I had the pop filter in front of it, and then mm-hmm. I always put it on two diving gloves. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a
0: vibration. <laughs> Well, I had, I don't think you saw what I had uh mine, I had a 1980s uh, monitor stand, so it's designed to hold something about 100 pounds, and I had that clamped to the table, and then, you know, let me see, I can probably move it. Yeah, you can't hear it now, with the microphone's not on it, but. I heard a click, click. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very beefy, but it was designed for like a workstation at a a shop for a computer monitor. Uh, being cheap, I had just been using that, and finally decided I had enough and was going to give this a try. I, I had to get a new pair of headphones because I wore the last ones out.
1: And it's not cheap; it's thrifty.
0: Thrifty, I know. It's
1: cost conscious.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sharon's well, the
1: computer, uh... Sharon's computer setup looks pretty nice. Put a picture on it.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's good. I like that like that floor, too. That looks uh, similar to the floor that I'm putting in right now.
1: How's that going, by the way?
0: Well, I, unexpectedly, we went to the, yeah, this is a pre-show bonus. Maybe we'll add it to the end of the show, and I'll edit it in. Uh, last weekend, we did the bid for barks at the Mendel Center. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because my wife works at Animal Control, just, you know, we were, we were there for that, you know, had a table there and you got a nice meal and, uh, you know, they had the silent auction and the regular auction and my wife saw they had a Whirlpool appliance set, uh, that you could bid on, you know, and they had the model numbers and the value of it. If you bought it retail was about $2,300. Wow. And we've been looking for a while for our stove. Our stove is when we built the house in 94. So the stove is like 20-some years old. And, yeah, you know, every once in a while it will have a fit and not heat or do something. So we had been looking. And last weekend was also the Whirlpool sale that they have for United yeah. Way. Yeah, they had it on we,
1: Saturday, Sunday.
0: Yep. And we had missed it Saturday. We're going to go Sunday. But while we were at the auction, they had that. Set which was a microwave, an oven, and a refrigerator. And we ended up getting it for under a thousand dollars. I think it'd be spent like just under 900. Whoa! So, uh, I mean, it was a I think it was well, the stuff that you would get at that sale. I think it was that because it wasn't in boxes, but it was mm-hmm. new, uh, so. If you don't mind, you know, a few blemishes and stuff, it was pretty good. But being a cheapskate, I am thrifty thrifty. Yeah. So I I had to do that. And that's what I've been working on. You had to, it was at the lady's house. So I had to go and pick that up and haul it home and put it inside and then do the appliance shuffle. So, uh, you know, my front yard, you know, about four feet off the porch, I've got a stove (laughs) sitting out there. Uh, I've got two refrigerators in the kitchen. I had to uh, disconnect the ice maker and the water on the old one. The new one doesn't have it in it. Uh, I can add it, but we'll see if we bother or not. We haven't decided yet. But the refrigerator is also what the last time I bought a refrigerator, I had to hunt and hunt and hunt because the spot for it. When I built the house, that was the biggest refrigerator you could get. And then when I had to replace it, uh, probably about eight, nine years ago, that was the smallest refrigerator you could get. And this one, well, it's not a, a huge one. It's even larger than the last one. So tonight I had to pull off half my cabinets from the wall just to be able to fit the refrigerator in. So
1: Yeah, we, we're not getting another refrigerator because ours is, like you said, the size we have, they don't got no more. And that's as big as we can have in there.
0: Well, I can, my old refrigerator, the top of the refrigerator is about the height of my chin. And this one, it's over my head. So the, the refrigerator is like six foot tall. They've just, they're deeper, wider, and higher. And I've heard part of it is the insulation that they're adding. They've been adding insulation to them for efficiencies. But then everybody wants a bigger refrigerator. So I'm... Even though I am getting ready to do remodel, you know, you can't live without a kitchen. So I find I'm doing like mini remodels in middle of the remodel of middle of the remodel. Plus, I've got a back door to put in and got a new roof to put in the barn. And at some point, I've got to get some diving in. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. So here we go.